you're listening to the podcast series with her in pain and i am your host arushi welcome to another episode of our series and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us and we we really really appreciate it so diving right in uh, because of centuries of female exclusion women's diseases or diseases predominantly affecting women are understudied underdiagnosed misdiagnosed and undertreated and one such condition is interstitial cystitis uh, let's speak to vedika who has been suffering from the condition for quite some time now and let's learn from her experience so that we can have it easier for uh, for ourselves or uh, maybe for our loved ones thank you so much for joining us today vedika and for uh, for agreeing to share your experience with us today Pleasure is mine, Arshi. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad that we can get the conversation started on IC. So, um, for people who have uh, never heard of this condition, and understandably so, uh, what is your uh, understanding of interstitial cystitis? So, um, interstitial cystitis is basically a syndrome, and it's a chronic condition. that involves a irritated bladder wall um and you get all the symptoms of a typical urinary tract infection which it's often like misdiagnosed as so a lot of people that think they have uti actually have ic uh, so you have frequent urge to urinate pelvic pain cramps um a burning sensation uh, when you do pass urine so that's basically it's not a very well studied Uh, syndrome so this is what i do know <laughs> well it is it is uh, for sure understudied um so how did you find out that uh, you were suffering from this condition and what was your diagnosis journey like um so i wouldn't say i'm still suffering from it i think uh, now touch wood things are a lot better i've learned to manage it so uh, that's one thing my diagnosis journey in two words was long and frustrating i think i saw close to eight doctors maybe five doctors um, allopathic doctors and then alternate medicine another three or four so it took me almost 5 6 years to get diagnosed with ic and uh, during the process uh, what were the various uh, misdiagnoses that uh, were given to you and uh, also how many wrong medicines did you have in the process um so i think initially it was diagnosed correctly as a urinary tract infection so that's what it started off as this was like first year of college and um, that time i responded well to antibiotics but as like it kept coming back again and again and then i completely stopped responding to antibiotics um the misdiagnosis there was the doctors were saying uh, you've become resistant to these antibiotics and that's why you're not getting relief but the truth is there wasn't an infection the scans were coming back clear the cultures were coming back clear so um yeah that was that was really the one of the misdiagnoses another thing was i was asked to check for irritable bowel syndrome um i was asked to uh, check if like i'd had an appendectomy before they asked me to check if that had caused it so like a whole bunch of uh, things were tried and tested 
I was on heavy antibiotics. I, I was taking two injections a day for almost four weeks. Um, and those injections would leave like horrible bruises uh, on my body. So, yeah, mm. I think that was the worst of it. And I mean, of course, the emotional costs of it were significant. But then there must have also been some serious financial costs. Mm. It's definitely so because it's chronic um, and also because it takes so long to diagnose, you end up spending a lot of uh, money on mm. tests, constant mm. tests, just getting all these types ruled out um, you also end up spending a lot of money on the medication once you get the diagnosis the i think the most common medication is this um mm. it's polysulfate something called for ic um and that medicine is pretty expensive i think it comes up to almost 50 to 60 thousand mm. um just for those tablets for one dose of it so definitely and then the tests the install bladder installations you have to have um and then there's the whole medical expense as well of going seeing the doctor finding a specialist who's qualified and knows what this condition is so just the hunt <laughs> costs you a lot and then there's the treatment so um, how did it feel uh, to receive the right diagnosis in what senses did it get uh, easier for you and in what senses uh, you would still suffer um so just thinking back to the day I got diagnosed, I had I had traveled I think two and a half hours to see the specialist uh, in a small hospital in Delhi. Um, I was kind of desperate because my symptoms were really bad at that point. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, I couldn't attend class. It was pretty bad. And the first thing uh, she did when she spoke to me about this was uh, she had me do all the tests talk to her for an hour and a half to understand my history and then she just held my hand and she said you know um, this is your diagnosis it's chronic it's not exactly treatable but we can manage it and um, I'm here to help you with it mm. so the overwhelming emotion was relief I think mm. I just burst into tears because see Arushi it, it had been so long Hearing UTI, uh, we don't know mm. what's wrong. Seeing this puzzle mm. look on my doctor's face, mm. just it was such a relief to have a name to this thing that was plaguing me. So yeah, relief was the overwhelming emotion, and then the fact that it's chronic, um, the fact that it's not really treatable, the fact that uh, it's again understudied, that was disappointing. But the disappointment came later. First, I was just so happy to have the diagnosis. Absolutely. Very, very understandable. Um, so, I see uh, up until uh, 1985 was considered a rare psychosomatic disorder. Uh, of course, now it is, uh, it is well known that it is neither uh, rare nor psychosomatic. Uh, and to set some context, uh, Campbell Urology, which is internationally lauded as the above all uh, text in urology, uh, included IC back then uh, in the chapter entitled Psychosomatic Conditions in Urology. And uh, to quote the edition from uh, 1978 to 1985, the book stated that interstitial cystitis may present the end stage in a bladder that has been made irritable by emotional disturbance, a pathway of discharge of unconscious hatreds. Uh, further, 
uh, it said that uh, it could be thought of as and again I am quoting as an irritable bladder in an irritable person. So um, I have a couple of questions uh, for you Vedika. Do you think you are an irritable person <laughs> and also how does this uh, description make you feel? So uh, the first part of that when um, they said that it's caused by hatred and irritation okay. and emotional disturbance. I think it's the other way around, right? You get it and then you get irritated and frustrated. So I would agree with the second part, which is, I think you said irritable bladder and an irritable person. The person is obviously irritated because they're having an irritable bladder and nobody understands, unless you have it, you don't understand what an impediment it is to just daily life. Right? It's not a life-threatening disease. I know there are way worse diseases out there, all of that. But this is a serious problem and it, it can be very debilitating. It changes your life. So, yeah, I think definitely I would have an issue with, with that. Hmm. So, uh, how often did you hear uh, terms like psychosomatic or in your head uh, being used for your condition during your diagnostic journey? Well, initially, uh, when I did have the UTI okay. uh, hmm. and the scans were showing that there was a bacteria like E. coli or something there, um, it, hmm. I didn't hear it. But as the scans started coming back clear and I was still having symptoms and I was still going back to these doctors, then it came up, you know. Uh, one thing that would come up is it's just stress right it's um it do some meditation do some yoga see maybe stress aggravated it um not disputing that but just stress saying that is not a diagnosis at all and it's not a helpful one right stress is an incredibly complicated phenomena people somatize stress in different ways uh, we show it in different ways and that's just that doesn't tell me anything basically just feels like okay, I'm so, there's something I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing something wrong that is causing all these issues. But you as my doctor can't tell me what that is. So yeah, that's, um, that's what would happen a lot, especially with, I think, a lot of male doctors. Um, well, um, thankfully, IC is increasingly being recognized as a condition that is not psychosomatic, also, it, it is well recognized as a common condition affecting not only women of all age groups, but also as a condition sometimes affecting men. Uh, but still, uh, there is a significant information gap. Does it scare you that IC is so severely under-researched? Also, um, when you were undergoing treatment, how did you first uh, place trust in, in your line of treatment? Well... Uh, I, it concerns me a lot that it is under-researched because, you know, I've had it for a long time. It's been almost eight years um, that I've had it. And now when I go back and research, um, there's still the same information, it's the same links, the same web pages that are coming up. Uh, so that is, it's hugely concerning because I don't know what progress is being made. I don't know um, what's changing. Um, the second part was about treatment right well um honest 
answer is I didn't since I'd had so many failed treatments before I think initially I went with this attitude of okay he's the doctor the specialist he'll know what's wrong with me and whatever he tells me I'll do and this will go away but then that didn't happen it kept coming back and he was as puzzled like the different doctors that I saw were as puzzled uh, by this as I was so when I by the time I had my diagnosis it wasn't so much me placing trust in the treatment as it was just sheer desperation I didn't know what else to do um, and I had to get it treated so but once I got my diagnosis and like I said my doctor was extremely empathetic uh, just the fact that she was empathetic allowed me to open up to her and say you know this is somebody who cares and if a couple of lines of treatment don't work she'll help me find what the right what the right treatment for me is so that's that's how my journey was well I, I think I mean I think that is very important you know having that sort of a trust in your doctor where you where you know that okay sure if if you know for the first few things don't work out uh, she will help me figure out what else to do and, and I think uh, I think yeah uh, I know you got that late but uh, for for whatever uh, it it counts for I think it's it's really incredible so, um, Vedika, what are the aspects of your life uh, that I see affects? Um, so, just short answer: everything. See, while it's not while it's not um, a life-threatening disorder, or it's not a very visible um, illness, and I, it is inconvenient to say the least, because I was looking back at how I managed. And still manage my condition. And the answer is, I changed my lifestyle completely. Like, starting with uh, my waking up routine. As soon as I wake up, I have to have an alkaline solution to kind of ease the burn. Because um, you wake up with uh, the urge to urinate. And then there's diet. Um, I have to completely cut out, cut out things like coffee, tea. Alcohol aggravates it. Um, and some of these are very, uh, some of these are common triggers, but some of them are also uh, very personal triggers, right? So there's a process by which you first have to understand what triggers um, you have. Like for me, uh, this triggers it very badly. Uh, capsicum is a huge trigger. And these are things I really like, right? And uh, so definitely that modification is a big thing. There's also, there's also exercise, there's also meditation. It also affects your work. Because when I, uh, it's become such a, it's become such a second nature to me that when I go into a room or I'm in a new place, I, the first instinct is to locate the restroom. Because I know if I'm staying there for more than 45 minutes, half an hour, I'm going to need to use it. So like, if you look at my workplaces, everywhere that I've worked, I will choose a workstation that's close to the restroom, which is, you know, people notice after a point, right? You, you have to constantly half an hour every 45 minutes mm. you're running to the restroom people will notice and even if they're very understanding um it see worst case sometimes you get a bit of condescension as to like what what is wrong with you why do you keep using the restroom best case it gets a bit patronizing mm. just like oh my gosh what do you have and then you have to explain mm. them about it mm. then there's an element of disbelief because they've never heard about it so yeah there's all of these all of these things i guess travel is a pain <laughs> where you don't have access to a clean restaurant, road trips, um, all of that just takes a backseat. 
absolutely i agree i think uh, the point that you uh, made about lack of uh, restrooms for women in india i think uh, i think a lot of times it's you know of course that in and of itself is a huge problem but sometimes it completely escapes people that there are also women who are living with conditions like ic where you just have to go to the loo and you have to go quite frequently and uh, yeah i i don't think that's even a consideration factor uh, has it in some way happened to you that you know ic has also made you rethink your life in a certain way has it made you reevaluate certain uh, decisions or plans that you might have had before you were diagnosed with the condition mm. so initially when I uh, received the diagnosis and I didn't know anything about interstitial cystitis. I was really concerned that um, it would affect like reproduction. I, I my first question I think to my doctor was if I want to have a kid later is this going to affect that? Um and how how is it going to affect it? But luckily I mine has been a, a moderate level of IC mm-hmm. and um it doesn't the answer to those questions of does it affect reproduction was a no so it hasn't changed anything decision wise um there is one aspect of it is um i guess sexual activity which mm. can also be a trigger so mm. there is a uncomfortable conversation that you have to that i mm. had to have with um my partner just about the pain and the symptoms and again just a reeducation process um and we had to change things around accordingly but i've been really lucky actually that it hasn't mm. made me rethink i'm i'm so happy for you i'm so happy for you vedika um so uh, of course we've talked about how uh, how there is a lack of uh, answers when it comes to ic so if you were to identify five questions related to ic which you wish you had answers to but you don't uh, what would they be mm, i think my first question would be how do i get rid of it completely because i i refuse to believe that uh, there's no way to completely cure it i think we just haven't found it so that's my number one question number two i would i would want to know more about why um my body reacts a certain way to it uh, i i think i still fully haven't understood my triggers because sometimes like recently last week i had this week i have had a flare up and i can't for the life of me imagine what caused it so that's been frustrating third i would i I'd, i'd want to know where i can um go for reliable information is there a repository where are the studies on this being conducted where can i get up to date information i think those are my top 3 questions i'm sure i'll have more so uh, tell us something uh, about your journey after diagnosis uh, you mentioned that you were suffering earlier but uh, you're not suffering anymore so uh, we would love to know more about uh, this journey of recovering from this uh, constant pain um, 
how did you go about healing yourself? I think after my diagnosis, uh, there was about six months of like much more intense treatment. Um, so between the time I was diagnosed, um, I, it was close to when I was graduating college and then I was leaving the country for work uh, right after. So that period was just like jam-packed with treatment. I was getting bladder installations done every week. Uh, so that's when you get a saline solution to kind of, it soothes the bladder. Uh, so that was happening. I was taking um, a medication that would create like a protective layer around the uh, bladder wall. So that was happening. Uh, so yeah, that part was intense, the six months. Um, but after that, I think it was, it took me another six uh, months to just understand, like I said, my triggers, what made it worse, what made it better. And that's a long process, right? If you're modifying lifestyle, then it definitely takes time one, figure out what's happening, and two, to actually make those changes. Um, I, I find it difficult, for instance, to uh, give up on having a drink, right, once in a while. Um, so now it's become a lot more about balance for me. So that was it. For the first year went like that. The next two years, it's just been a repeat of that, and it's gotten easier over time. So now even when I do have a flare-up, uh, my first reaction is not the panic and the frustration that I used to have. Like, oh God, this is back. What do I do? Now I know, okay, I can do all of these things and we'll take it from there. Hmm. So, uh, so how does it work? There are a couple of things that are your triggers. For example, you mentioned uh, capsicum, coffee, drinks, sex. So, I mean, these are things that are completely forbidden or uh, you can have them once in a while, but with adequate precautions and how does it work well um it depends on what we're talking about so i think for me it's intensity of reaction i have to the trigger and um how much that is like necessary in my life or how much i think it's necessary mm. so to give you an example of things that i completely avoid coffee like i'm very very rarely drinking your coffee um alcohol i still go out still have fun and I've just come to terms with the fact that next day I will have my body will tell me that it's not happy but that's something that I choose to live right that's a choice capsicum um, I completely avoid uh, citrus I limit um, there are a few other few other things so chocolate is also a trigger because of the caffeine um, but there's no way I don't even try and avoid that life without chocolate is too hard for me so yeah. yeah. Oh, aerated drinks. So, aerated drinks is something that I've completely cut out. That helped a lot. Just avoiding. That's okay. So yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's just been a process of trying to balance these things. Vedika, how frequently do you have flare-ups now? Mm. It depends, Arushi. I think uh, for the past year, it's been pretty stable. I mean, I've been mostly at home, um, haven't had much travel. It's been quite easy to manage. But like I said, I had a flare-up starting last week and the beginning of this week. So I'm not entirely sure why that's happened. Now I would say my flare-ups are maybe once in six months. Um, it it oh. can depend. When I've traveled in a long time, this has been the longest I've been without a flare-up. That's great, Vedic. I'm so happy for you. So I wanted to understand how did you accept 
the chronic nature of your condition and how did you make peace with it or i mean is it something that you're still struggling with and you know you're, you're maybe just not there yet how is it like for you i think well sometimes sometimes it's not hard because uh, again it's the pain isn't a lot and it's like a minor inconvenience so it's not too hard yeah. but uh, when a bad flare up comes then it's then it is very frustrating because you're like why am i getting this again you know i thought we were over we were done with this I, uh, so sometimes very frustrated but majority of the time just having the diagnosis having a like i said a really empathetic doctor who for the past 3 years she's always like been available when i've had to talk to her or tell her you know i'm having this reaction what do we do just having that support has been great uh, so that really helps just having a support system of people family a specialist who can help you professionally again i'm one of the lucky ones that got diagnosis so so uh, a lot of women uh, struggle to explain their experiences even to well meaning listeners um how was that for you uh, how did uh, people around you receive the idea of uh, chronic pain and uh, uh, and really whatever uh, comes with uh, suffering from or ha- living with uh, interstitial cystitis well to be honest arshi i don't um, it's not something I'm, it's not something i hide but it's not something that i talk about simply because it's not a very well understood condition you can come across as making a big deal out of uh, yeah. i completely and agree after point also you don't want people to view you as a patient right uh, so i think just for those reasons i don't talk about it much uh, maybe very few friends know or people who see me have a bad flare up um, no to to my family um my partner and really close friends they're very well versed with the condition because they've seen me go through the journey uh, that's been that's been really nice but uh, yeah i as yeah. a rule i don't talk about it to people outside my close circle i i think that's reasonable but uh, at the same time really sad it is it is like you said a lot of the advice you get even when like i've tried talking about it. it's very well intentioned but misguided because you'll hear things like do yoga do meditation um go to this doctor get your stars checked it just i've heard so many bizarre reactions at this point and like you know what it's really fine <laughs> i'll i'll deal with it i don't want to talk about it understandably uh, vedika you uh, you and many other women uh, turn to alternative medications for example you mentioned uh, uh you know ayurveda some time back um so what what were the alternative forms of medications that you turned to and in what ways did they help and in what ways did they fail to help so before i answer that i just want to put the a disclaimer out there which is uh i think it's hugely subjective what works and what doesn't work i don't know how much of it is a placebo how much of it actually has a medical basis so with that said um the alternate treatments i've tried are reflexology which is uh, basically they it involves a process with your feet uh, and massages that release nerves that was moderately successful um 
didn't have like lasting relief. I've tried Ayurveda, which I've had mixed results. I've tried like two or three different doctors. And uh, what really did work for me was Siddha medication. But the problem with Siddha medication is since it involves heavy metals, you're not advised to take it for more than uh, a few months. So after three months, I had to stop. And I had, so I had relief after that. But after my next flare up, um, I couldn't go back to it. It uh, wasn't helping anymore. So after that, I have tried pranic healing, which is a pretty questionable um, uh, science, I think. But I have tried it. It's nice in that it's a lot of meditation and um, introspection and all of that. But I didn't see a significant benefit with that. So it's been, it's a mixed bag. Mm-hmm. So just, just my last question to you, Vedika. Uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of women out there are uh, suffering from the condition. So uh, what is it that you would like to tell th- tell those women who really suspect that they're suffering from IC and they're just uh, not being able to get the right diagnosis and, uh, you know, they're constantly being uh, uh, dismissed by their doctors and, uh, you know, just really struggling on that end. Uh, what would you say to them? Wow. Um, it's funny because I had this conversation with my grandmother a few days ago and she's actually suffered from IC for over 35 years. So what I would say to her is what I would say to these women, which is please find a doctor who understands because that's where your journey starts. And it is possible, like you said, Arushi, the conversation is um, starting around IC and there are specialists out there who understand the condition, know how to treat it and can support you. So I would say first, the professional um, expert needed and second a support system uh, people that understand and validate the condition uh, that's really important you, one part is the pain that you deal with the physical pain which is significant the other part is the emotional pain of not having a name to it and uh, the frustration of it coming back and being chronic so this second is please build that support system Third would be, just look at what your triggers are, right? There are things you can do. It's not completely hopeless. Uh, You'll definitely get better. It will take time. It will take effort, but you will get there. So, yeah, I think just that. Thank you so much, Vedika, for uh, for sharing your experience uh, with us. Uh, I, I really hope it helps a lot of women out there who who are suffering from uh, IC. Or, and I hope that like you, you know, they they very soon stop suffering from it. Um, and I, I genuinely, I think it should, uh, it should help a lot of women. And it certainly helps me. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Arushi. This has been... So great. And yeah, happy to be here. Signing off, uh, this is Arushi and I'm with her in pain. And this is Vedika and I'm with her in pain.